Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 218 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for the likes of boxing, baseball, golf, tennis. You have NFL futures coming up. You have college football futures coming up. So there's plenty of action to be had. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place all your wagers, including live betting and even your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts with that said episode 218 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, it's the ten commandments. Why? Uh, uh, man, can't tell me nothing about this. Can't tell me nothing about this. This is my husband. You're on the corner. I ain't forget you. Triple beam. I've been in this game for years. Uh, it made me an animal. It's rules to the sh. Uh-huh. I wrote me a manual, a step by step booklet for you to get your game on track. Not your wig pushed back. Rule number uno. Never let no one know how much dough you hold. Cause you know that try to breed jealousy, especially if that man f***ed up. Get your up, up. Number two, never let them know your next move. Don't you know bad boys move in silence and vibe? Welcome back, welcome back. Episode 218 for the love of the game with yours truly. It's ATH, you're back in the saddle, back behind the mic. Took a couple of days off. Not a whole lot to talk about. There were a couple of headlines, but again, baseball season kind of sucks. We're just waiting on NFL season to start. NBA offseason is at a stalemate. No Damian Lillard news, no James Harden news. We're waiting on that to see what happens there. Not a whole heck of a lot to talk about right now. Uh, I haven't really gotten into previewing the FIBA tournament, the basketball tournament that is a precursor to the Olympics. I'm not really sure we're going to delve into that. We do have a lot of good stuff coming up. We're going to be talking about fantasy football and doing a preview there. Obviously, we're going to preview the Giants. We're going to talk about the NFL at large. So there's a lot of stuff coming around the bend. But in mid-late July, with the Yankees and the Mets stinking, there isn't a lot to talk about. So it took a couple of days off, decompressed a little bit, but we're back. So let's start with the Mets because we're recording on a Monday evening and the trade deadline is basically a day away. The Mets are doing the fire sale thing right now. They traded Max Scherzer. It started off when they traded David Robertson to the Marlins. Max Scherzer then went to the Texas Rangers. They traded Mark Canna to the Brewers. The Mets, who were about six or seven and a half games out of a wild card spot, decided it's time to punt for next year. We'll see if Justin Verlander goes as well. But I think this is smart maneuvering by the Mets. Max Scherzer was clearly a declining asset. They got a top 50 prospect back in Ronald Acuna Jr.'s brother. So we'll see. The Mets, 
They clearly said they needed to get younger, and all these moves give them the opportunity to do so. It shaves a little bit off the salary cap as well. So I think it's smart maneuvering by the Mets. As for the Yankees, well, they haven't really done a whole lot of anything. They were going into today three and a half games out of the wild card spot. And then last night, in an embarrassing game where Luis Severino gets shelled again, and the Yankees struck out 18 times. That's right. You heard it. 18 times. That's two-thirds of their outs were via the strikeout. And again, I've ranted on the Yankees a bunch. Not a whole heck of a lot's going to change. Even though Aaron Judge is back and he didn't play last night, he looked great in Saturday's game. He's a monster. He's the second best player in the American League. What else can you say? But what got me so annoyed, so, so annoyed, is again, not the win-loss results of last night's Yankee game. And by the way, at the time they were recording, they're looking lifeless again. They're down 5-1 tonight. Whatever. This season is a wash. I don't care. But Aaron Boone, after Sunday night's game, again, where they struck out 18 times, and they've already changed hitting coaches to Sean Casey, brought him in, Aaron Boone's boy from their days in Cincinnati. He has the gall to say this. Outside of the strikeouts, I thought at-bats were building off of last night. I thought we grinded out really well. We really made it tough on Kremer. We couldn't finish it off. Outside of the strikeouts, you mean the 18 of them? Two-thirds of the total outs that the Yankees made were strikeouts? What do you mean outside the strikeouts? Anthony Rizzo, who's sucked for the better part of two months, struck out five times. But outside the strikeouts, they were good at bats? All they did was strike out. And again, it's not about this season. But it's this notion that the Yankees are closer to actually amounting to shit than they actually are. And there's this ambivalence throughout the entire organization. From the front office, to the manager, to the players. And it's nuts already. This is the epitome of pissing on my face and telling me it's raining. Okay? That's what this is. Aaron Boone, I know he likes to stick up for his guys... But this is legitimately insulting my intelligence. It's insulting every Yankee fan's intelligence. I I just can't believe it. Of all the stupidity that Aaron Boone is, this might be my tipping point. Outrageous. Outside the strikeouts. 18 strikeouts! Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I thought I wasn't going to rant on them after the last time I talked about baseball, but this was so egregious. That quote was such a load of shit that I just had to bring it up. Other things, before we get into tonight's guest, uh, a first-time guest, I'm very excited to have him on, somebody who's, again, played high-level college basketball. We're going to talk to him about a myriad of different things, the developments of the G League, playing overseas, whole lot of things to talk about. But Saquon Barkley for the New York Giants signed his contract one year, 
$11 million. The last little bit, $2 million could be in incentives. A lot of that is tied for the Giants making the playoffs. Saquon, who did not want to play on the franchise tag, kind of looked around and saw the landscape of the league. I'm sure he saw what's going on with Dalvin Cook, a guy who's 28 years old and is clearly not washed up. And Saquon is going to report to camp, play on the franchise tag, going to get $11 million this year. And yes, I think the Giants operated well within their rights. I think they did something smart considering Saquon's injury history, considering what the CBA allows for you to pay running backs. I just would have wished, and again, maybe this is just because I like Saquon. I like what he stands for. I I think he's the best running back in the NFL when he's right. I've said this multiple times. He's at worst the third or fourth, at worst, coming off his best year. I would have liked the Giants to have gotten a deal done. A long-term deal. If you're quabbling over $2 million, I think at that point, just get it done. But that's not what happened. So we'll see what happens with him next year. More than likely, if he has a good year, he's just going to get franchise tagged again. And then the, the number will go up to about 12 to $13 million, which ironically is what he was looking for in guaranteed money for a three-year deal. But Saquon will be back. We'll see what happens next year. But we'll talk about next offseason then. Saquon is back. Not going to miss any time. He's at practice. All systems will go for the New York Giants. Last thing I want to talk about before we bring on tonight's guest. Again, it's going to be a shorter monologue. Because, again, not a whole heck of a lot going on right now in the world of sports. Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics signed his contract extension. Five years, $304 million. A super max extension. It is the richest extension in NBA history. This contract immediately is the worst contract in the history of pro sports. And I've heard all the arguments of smart guys that I respect. Ryan Rosillo talked all about it, how the cap is going up, how the Celtics are in a no-win situation because of where they are cap-wise. If Brown hit the open market and left, they would have absolutely no room to replace him. I get all of that. I get it. I get it. I do. I do. But under no circumstances, if I was the GM or the owner of the Celtics, am I ever signing Jalen Brown to the richest contract in NBA history? Under no circumstances. I'd sooner trade him. I'd sooner trade him and Jason Tatum and the entire team and start from scratch than sign Jalen Brown to the richest contract in pro sports. And again, I know these things reset all the time. I'm just not doing it. I'm not doing it. He's between the 25th and 30th best player in the league. I get what the CBA allows guys to negotiate for. I I understand how it works. And guess what? I don't care. 
I don't care. If I was in that position, there is no way he gets that deal. I would sooner have traded him immediately for anything. My biggest pet peeve in sports, and this actually loosely ties to the Saquon Barkley-Daniel Jones thing, is that Saquon kind of got squeezed because Daniel Jones is a quarterback and quarterback salaries are slotted as such and running back salaries, especially if you're going to be on the cap, are slotted as such. And I'm bullish on Daniel Jones. I am. But Daniel Jones making $40 million a year when Saquon Barkley, who is the best player on the team, is making eleven. I, I get the positional value. I get it, but it doesn't make sense to me. It's time for owners and general managers to reset things. And I'm not saying collusion by not paying guys their money. All right? I want the players to get paid. I do. But if you're not the top of the top, in the top five or six guys, you should never be getting top, top dollar in terms of a contract. I don't think Daniel Jones should be making that much when Patrick Mahomes is getting what he's getting. The Justin Herbert contract, five years, $262 million. And I'm not the biggest Justin Herbert guy. I think Trevor Lawrence is actually going to be better than Justin Herbert. That's one of my hot takes for the NFL season, for the fantasy football season. We'll get to that stuff in about a week or two when we do a full episode on that. But again, Justin Herbert is no worse than the sixth best quarterback in the league. As much as I'm not a huge, huge fan like some are, that contract is justifiable. I just don't believe that you have to pay guys who aren't super, super elite, super, super elite money. Spread it around. And if that means going back to the drawing board, so then so be it. So be it. And again, not every situation is the same, but as a general rule, you get in trouble in sports by paying guys who are not super elite, elite level money. I, I can't, I cannot believe this Jalen Brown contract. Again, and smart people tell me why it happened he made all NBA. He was able to negotiate a Supermax. It was the right time. Just everything fell into place for him to get this. And guess what? If I was on that side, or I should say the other side of the organization, there's not a chance in hell I'm paying it. Because he's no better than the 25th to 30th best player in the league. Go down the list. Go down the line of guys. How many guys would you legitimately take Jalen Brown over? I, I just, I, I can't wrap my my head around it. It it offends me. It offends me to my core. I, I don't know why. It just, it offends me to my core. I, I'm As a Knicks fan, I'm happy they did this. Because this handcuffs the Celtics in a terrible, terrible way. And I don't think that the combination of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, where there's a tremendous amount of positional overlap, is going to win a title. Especially not when both guys are being paid about $110 million a year for the next two years. 
Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I would never, ever, ever in a million years have signed him to that contract. And if he walked, so be it. So be it. I would have said, you think you can get that contract? Go get it somewhere else. It's someone else's problem. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. With that said, we're going to bring on a first-time guest, somebody I'm very excited to talk about. We're going to talk about different things in college basketball, playing overseas, what that was like, and we're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. Okay, so I teased it in the monologue. I have a special first-time guest, a very special first-time guest. He's somebody who played major college basketball, knows a thing or two about the Big East when the Big East was awesome. None other than Torn Francis. Torn, how's it going, bud? How you doing? Oh, great, Aaron. Doing, doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excited to have you on. It's, it's a perfect time to have you on because two guys who you overlapped with uh, in a major way, one in way more of a major way than the other, called it quits not that long ago and, and entered retirement from the game of basketball. That's none other than Carmelo Anthony, who you were runner-up to for um, freshman of the year in the Big East in 2003, and your coach, Mike Bray, decided to uh, leave Notre Dame after a bunch of years, a very successful run there. He's actually, I think, the assistant coach of the Atlanta Hawks now. So yep. let's start with, with the next chapter of Notre Dame hoops. Mike Bray obviously was an icon with the school. How excited are you for his next chapter? How excited are you for the next chapter of the program? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, you know, Coach Bray, first of all, had an amazing career there. He was there for 23 years. We actually went back, me and all his former teammates actually went back there in March for his last home game. So it was great to um, come together with some of my former teammates and even even some guys from before when I was there and really just celebrate him and his amazing career at Notre Dame. I mean, he's been there. Uh, he had the longest tenure as a coach, uh, most win- winning as coach there. And so I think it was definitely uh, a testament of his hard work, but also his character. You know, he's an amazing guy and I'm super excited to see what's up for him next. I actually spoke with Coach Bray a couple weeks ago, and he's super excited about his transition from college to uh, the NBA. You know, I feel like he's done so much in college, so he was just ready for for something fresh and, and for something new. And so I'm excited for him. I don't think that he has any regrets at all about um, just leaving it all on the floor. And then as far as Notre Dame basketball, you know, think about Notre Dame basketball is they've been consistent throughout all the years. And so I know uh, Micah Shrewsbury, he's there. They're all excited about him. I know he's going to do an amazing job as well. And, you know, hopefully we can see Notre Dame maybe winning a championship in, in the future. But I think for them, you know, they're super happy with just being successful, you know, getting to the, the Sweet 16 or just going on a, on, a, on a huge run in the tournament. Well, we'll see if, uh, if Coach Bray has regrets when Trey Young doesn't play defense throughout the year and makes <laughs> terrible 30-footers and doesn't make them. But whatever, that's, uh, that's a different subject. Uh, your best recruiting story. So how did Coach Bray get you to Notre Dame? So it, it was actually Hold on it, a second. best recruiting story you can tell. It, it was actually a crazy one. And, and, and this is, is one of the reasons why I decided to go to Notre Dame. You know, I had I was in McDonald's All-American. So I really 
could have went to any school I wanted. I visited about 12 schools, including Duke, including UNC, including University of Florida, um, including UConn, some of the top programs. Um, Who was the runner-up? So the runner-up was my top schools were Notre Dame, um, University of Florida, and Georgia Tech, I think, were my were my top three. You know, three, I, I guess, arguably the, the three – best conferences at that time and really they were they were really schools when i was looking for a school i was really looking for a school that had a balance with academics and athletics you know falling you you need you need to have a plan to fall back on if basketball doesn't go the way that that's planned and even just to have for after basketball as well and so um those were my my top three you know i liked i also liked um i i liked duke i liked unc obviously i like uconn but you know, one of the reasons I chose Notre Dame is for the the basketball, um, for the just the name and the reputation of Notre Dame. But also I knew I was going to have an opportunity to start as a freshman. And that's really what I wanted to do is to go in and make uh, an immediate impact and not have to worry about playing behind someone. And so some of these other schools that I was looking at, they had freshmen and sophomores in my position. So I thought that, you know, for me. I had a good, great opportunity at Notre Dame. They had a couple guys that actually graduated in my position. And so um, the, the position was mine, and, and I started as a freshman. It was mine for the taking, and then I started as a freshman. So I, I definitely earned that. But um, Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure Coach K's uh, recruiting pitch was probably. So, so funny story, when I visited Duke, it was during the preseason, and they were playing an exhibition game. They were playing against um, – I don't remember the team, but it was a semi-pro team that they were playing against. And I'm in the arena, in Cameron Arena, which is in his, a historic arena, and all of the Cameron crazies start screaming, we want Francis during the game. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. I was like, it's, it's going to be hard to turn this down. You know, but they had they had already signed Shavlik Randolph, who was in my class at the position, plus they had – uh, Boozer, you know, they had like a bunch of guys there already. So, and they signed, um, they signed Sheldon Williams as well. So they assigned Sh- Sheldon Williams and Shavlik Randolph. So I was like, there's no way I'm going there, but it was definitely exciting to be there as a freshman with on uh, the Cameron cra- crazy screaming my name. So that's a great story that I remember. And, um, w- one of the things other than me being able to play right away and just, um, Notre Dame, the school itself, one of the reasons, um, that, that helped me choose Notre Dame was really the coaching staff's commitment. I remember they were recruiting me during 9-11. That was actually that year. And so what happened is they actually, um, with everything that happened, they were like on a flight and they weren't able to actually fly to see me. So what they did is they drove from, I think they drove, they were in um, Providence in New York and they drove to Boston to meet with me, Coach Bray, and uh, and his assistant. It was uh, Coach Slow at that time. They drove to Boston to meet with me and my mother. And then they ended up meeting up with Muffet McGraw, Muffet McGraw, who was a women's coach. She was recruiting someone in Massachusetts as well. And all three of them drove back to Indiana because 9/11, yes, nine eleven had just. Towers had just went down. Everything was crazy. So they were able to rent a car, drive back to Indiana. So that really just shows some commitment, you know, just, just despite everything going on. 
They rented a car, drove to see me, then drove all the way back to Indiana. So that was one of the great recruiting stories from from Notre Dame, and and one of the one of the the reasons why I chose Notre Dame. What's crazy about that is uh, September 11th. I feel like everybody has a story who's around you know our age. Like that was my second day of high school, right? And I went to school in Manhattan, so that was. Let's just say a, a, a crazy day, to put it mildly. So you played, and obviously you going to Notre Dame, I think, worked out pretty well. Uh, you yes, had yes. a pretty awesome career. So let me ask you a question, because you played in the Big East when the Big East was arguably at its peak, right? It's got the most number of schools. You know, it's the powerhouse conference. It was getting number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. What is your fondest memory of playing in the Big East, um, and are you sort of sensing right now, obviously realignment has changed a lot of things, but it seems like, especially with UConn winning the title last year, that the Big East is kind of coming back a little bit. It, it's getting a little bit more glam. So two-part question. What is your fondest memory of playing in the Big East, and is the Big East on its way back? So for me, that was actually one of the reasons why I chose Notre Dame as well. And so I wanted to play in the Big East. I thought the Big East was the best conference at that time. I thought it was between the Big East and the ACC, personally. And for me, being from Boston, playing in the Big East, we will be playing against BC. We will be playing against, um, who else, UConn, uh, Providence College, um, St. John's, Rutgers, Seton Hall. And so these were all games that my family was able to go to to see me, you know, a, a quick drive. And so that was another reason why I chose Notre Dame, just being in the Big East, but also my family having the opportunity to come and see me anytime we were actually playing any of those East Coast teams. And I loved it. They actually came to see me every time that they could, you know. And so for me, my fondest memory of playing in the Big East, huh? I just think, I think my whole... I think my whole freshman season was amazing. You know, my whole career was amazing, but my freshman season stood out just because we actually made it to the Sweet 16. And so I think that's definitely one of my fondest memories. We were that year, we were actually ranked fifth in the country. And then we went from going unranked to going to fifth in the country. And that happened because we beat three top 10 teams in one week. And so we had played in a tournament with, um, with Maryland and Texas and us, we beat Maryland and Texas. They were ranked, um, I think, two and three in the country. And then the week after, we played, and that's when Texas had uh, T.J. Ford. Um, Maryland had, um, they had a bunch of guys. They had, um, who did they have? They had, they had a bunch of guys. I don't remember Steve all Blake of them. Steve Blake was on that team. No, was it still there? Steve Blake was still there? Steve, Steve Blake was there. Uh, um, also, the other guard, um Oh, I can't even. I, I played against him several years uh, overseas. Drew Nichols was there, um, and I can't remember any, any other 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 guys. But then the next week, we played Marquette. That's when D Wade was there. He was a sophomore. I was a freshman. They were ranked ninth in the country. We beat them, and so we went from being unranked to beating those three teams, which put us in the top twenty-five. And then a couple weeks later, we were actually ranked fifth in the country, and so. That was an amazing stretch. And then just going to the tournament, you know, that was an amazing stretch. Just being able to um, go to the Sweet 16. The atmosphere was amazing. The games were amazing. And that's definitely one of my 
I would say. And that's not really Big East per se, but I think that just the whole year and actually getting to that point um, was, was super exciting. It, it was very hard to beat the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden. I mean, those, as just a fan watching those games, I mean, craziness. Like, one of my fondest memories watching college basketball was the the six overtime game between uh, UConn and Syracuse. Yes, the last yes. year of the East, which is just crazy. I mean, it's, it's a shame what happened to the, the conference, but I, I think with some of the coaches uh, – Highlighted by Danny Hurley at UConn, I think that um, uh, Coach McDermott at Creighton's doing a really good job. That the Big East is coming back a little bit, so that should be exciting to see. But I wish the uh, the old teams would come back, like Syracuse would come back. Yeah. Um, I, I wish all those teams would come back. So when you played against D Wade in the um, you know that season, did you know? Did you, did you know that he was just like, all right, this guy is absolutely, like, just nasty, that he was going to be what he became? Well, everyone was saying that. I didn't really know him personally, but everyone was like, oh, D-Wade is about to be a lottery pick, blah, blah, blah. And so that didn't really matter. We had a ton of confidence co- going coming off the previous week. We were playing at home as well. And so D-Wade, I think, only had 14 that game. And um, – and yeah, it, yeah it, it, and 14 that's not you know that's that's not a little amount but for him it, it was a great job that we did on him defensively and, and we got the win and a funny story so d wade is the host of uh, a tv show now a game show called the cube sure and so and so i actually auditioned <laughs> for that show to be on that show and so in my in my video my my audition video you know, I'm talking about why I should be on the show, talking about a little of my background. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I beat D-Wade back in the day. So I'll definitely beat his cube again right now. And so I just thought it was it was funny. They didn't end up picking me for the show, but it was still it was still a fun experience. That's uh, that's <laughs> a little unfortunate. So as we mentioned at the top of the show that uh, Carmelo Anthony retired, an unbelievable career. Somebody who who beat you out for freshman of the year had an, had a you know a miracle like freshman season. What's your best Carmelo Anthony story? So Carmelo and I go way back. You know we were the same class, and so we played against each other uh, in AAU. We played against each other in high school. He went to Oak Hill. I went to Tabor. So we actually played at the um, there was a tournament that that uh, Oak Hill had every year. It was at Maryland. So we played them. Um, in that tournament, um, b- battled him in, in college, and he, you know, he 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 basically went to college, uh, won the chip, and then went to the NBA. And so, you know, I, I just think that he was he he's an amazing player. He's a great player, you know. And and, and with him, I just kind of took it personally every time we used to play against Syracuse, and we actually beat Syracuse a majority of the time. I think we beat them every time we played them my freshman year, and so I think that was just kind of gratifying that you know you have Carmelo one of the top freshmen in the league certainly the country then you had me you know I believe that was one of the top freshmen in the country as well and so um it it was it it was definitely great being able to to compete against him and and beat them um as far as the story goes so there was one (laughs) there was one time we were playing against Syracuse and 
they Carmelo was on the break, and I'm running on the break. I was I was kind of trailing on the break, just trying to catch up. And what are they, one of Carmelo's teammates threw an alley oop, and I was like, "There's no way he could catch this shit." It was like, "Oh, sorry, excuse my language," but I was. Don't worry, now we, we can we can let it fly. It's all okay. good. All right, it was like at the corner of the backboard, and he caught it. And I was just running back like, yo, that was, I was like, he's definitely a special, special player. Oh, did he, so you weren't in the poster? No, no, I wasn't in the poster. No, you weren't in the poster. You, was, avoid, you avoided that smoke. I, was, I wasn't in the poster. I was actually watching. I got a great look, and I was like, that was amazing, just how – just the athleticism and, and coordination. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that run that they went on that tournament, I mean, he was unconscious. And yeah, I, yeah. I, as a diehard Knicks fan, I think he's gotten a little unjust uh, critiques over the years. Was his pro career perfect? No, but I, I think there was a lot of other things around him that that went wrong, uh, especially with his Knicks tenure. So let me ask you this transition here, right? So you had a very successful career at Notre Dame, right? Obviously, you're looking to play at the next level, and and let's face it, you know the NBA is 450 jobs, right? The, the reality is, it's not for everybody. So, and you know, guys like. Like you play overseas, you, you played in in summer league a little bit. When you, what was it like having that realization that it was, you know, that that the NBA may not be it, but that my career playing high level basketball isn't over. Like, was there one moment that sort of illuminated it for you? Like, like take me through that that process because it's got to be hard for somebody like you, you know, McDonald's All American, successful pro career at at a. At, excuse me, college career at a major program. I, you know, sometimes the dose reality is hard. And so, so what was that like going through that? Yeah, so for me, it's really all about timing. I think timing is huge in, in life in general. And I don't, I certainly don't have any regrets. You know, I had an amazing college career. I had an amazing professional career, even though it wasn't in the NBA, but I was, I lived in over 10 different countries, uh, met some amazing people, had a, a longer career than most of my peers that actually played in the NBA. Um, you know, I speak Spanish fluently as well. And so um, I don't have any regrets. You know, if, if I could do it over, I would have left after my freshman year, you know, because, right. because we were coming off the being ranked fifth in the country. In the tournament, we went to the Sweet 16 and I was averaging 18 and 12 as a freshman in the tournament, you know, and so. There was nobody in your life at that point that was advising you to go? Yeah. And so I had a couple people, a couple agents that they were kind of advising me, you know, I, I couldn't be signed with an agent, obviously, but they were right, telling me that they were telling me that they thought I would get drafted 15 to 25 if I would have put my name in at that time. But I was young and I was like, well, I would rather do one more year and try to go lottery. And ultimately, it doesn't even matter if you're going first round. That's guaranteed money. You have to go. Yeah. And that's why I tell guys these days, it's like you can always go back and get your degree. Look how many guys have done it and do it um, on a daily basis, guys in the NBA. But it's like they're going back now as millionaires and having had careers in the NBA and then saying, all right, we can get our degree and see what's next. You know, and so for me, I was like, all right, I want to wait. I passed it past the time when I was hot. And then what happened is I went back to school in my sophomore year. 
I was having a great year personally, but we were losing. You know, we uh, that after my freshman year, I think about three of our seniors graduated, and so the team was just kind of different. You know, and so midway through that season, my sophomore year, I ended up hurting my back. I had herniated disc, and I had to get surgery. And so, and so I was sidelined for the rest of my sophomore year, and then my junior and senior year, I think they were just kind of mediocre, just because. At that time, that was a serious injury. And so a lot of teams had kind of backed off me. And so that's kind of like it was really, I think, after my junior year. So after my junior year, what happened is I put my name in the draft just to kind of test the waters, just to see, you know, because my year was okay, But, you know, I still had a reputation of being a solid player. But then they were also like, you know, he, he was better before his back surgery, you know. And so I think that's kind of when I had that realization that, you know, NBA, and, and and I never gave up trying. Don't get me wrong. You know, of even course. yeah, even my senior year, you know, I I did all the workouts with NBA teams. Um, you know, I did summer league and all that, and, and and a lot of it has to do with politics. Just because when I did my workouts after my senior year, there were guys that got got drafted higher than me. That are I'm sorry that even got drafted, and I was killing them in the workouts. And it's like you know these co- these coaches and these scouts it's like they already know in their minds kind of like who they want you know what i mean and so that's kind of like during some of those workouts when i would be dunking on these guys or killing these guys and i look over and i see the coaches not even really paying attention then i was like you know maybe if i don't get to the nba i could still go overseas make some great money you know my agent had kind of planted that seed saying that you know, he's already working on deals overseas for me. You know, I can still go over there, make some good money. Um, you know, my first, my rookie year playing in Italy, I made six figures. So that was actually pretty good for, for being a rookie. And so for me, the realization, it, it was really, um, I, I just I just thought of it as another opportunity, another opportunity to continue playing basketball at a high level, the game that I love. But now you're adding the, ability to be able to travel to different countries which is great and so that actually excited me what was your favorite country that you played in (sighs) this this is a tough question and i get this question i get this question like almost every day um i'll break it down to you so i like to think of it in terms of cities and so one of my favorite cities i lived in was berlin um berlin is an amazing city it's super diverse they have um history sightseeing nightlife um, culture, everything. And there, that team was super pro- professional. So I played with Alba Berlin, which was uh, one of the top teams in Europe at the time. I, I believe they still are. Um, they were playing at the O2 Arena there, which had the highest attendance in Europe for for a basketball game. So the arenas were always packed. And there, they were super professional. So it was like playing for an NBA team. And so I had an amazing time that season uh, in Berlin, in the city, and also with the organization. Um, let me see. I was kind of hoping you were going to say how Paul Jerusalem was going to be your favorite. No, so that that's one of, that's one of my favorite cities too. So I lived in Ooh. I lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's amazing. Tel Aviv is which amazing. Area? Which which area in Jerusalem did you live in? Uh, I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. But when I was there. I got to see everything, got to see um, um, got to see everything in Jerusalem, obviously went to the Dead Sea, 
um, you know, went to Tel Aviv all the time, uh, went to Bethlehem. So it was, it was, that was, it, that was kind of a surreal experience being out there. Cause I'm like, yo, this is, this is kind of like the, like one of the motherlands, you know what I mean? And so it was, it, it was, it was, it was an amazing time and they're super cultural weather's amazing. And it was, it was great. So you mentioned, you know, playing in summer league. When you played in summer league, I don't think summer league had the cachet and the media, it definitely didn't have the media presence like it has now. Like, are you, tell me about your experience in the NBA summer league. And are you, are you shocked by how big it's gotten in terms of just whether it's, you know, airing on TV or, you know, uh, the, the constant social media clips, like, like, Compare and contrast a little bit. So the thing is, the Summer League has always been very relevant. You know, I just think now with with the um, kind of like with the advancement in technology, it, it's, it, it's... It's um, way more visible. Exactly. Way more visible. You know, now it's like I think mostly all the games now are being televised. I think back then they would televise, you know, a couple a couple games with some big name guys, you know, but now... All of the games are being televised. Like I, I watched so many summer league games um, this past summer. You know, just you know, just scrolling the, the the channels and seeing games on. I'm saying, all right, let me, let's let me catch this game. You know, now you have these guys. They're actually showing highlights of summer league on Sports Center as well. And so I think it's really the advancement of technology because summer league has always been huge. You know, for especially for it's always been huge for. Uh, players playing in the summer league and it's always been huge for you know maybe guys who were less um were were less scouted to really try to make a a name for themselves you know i just think now it's like you know and and now also the game is changing as well so it's like you have these guys some of these unicorn guys like um like wembyama and some of these guys that are like seven feet and they're you know shooting dribbling and it's like this is what people want to see you know the game is transitioning and so i think now a lot of these guys are getting more publicity as well they're more in the spotlight as well and so i think that um that's why the the summer league it's it's um it's been more visible what's your best summer league story was it in and it wasn't in vegas when you were there right it was in like different places like orlando i think had uh, I'm almost positive Salt Lake City had. Yeah, so I never played. I, I I played with Miami Heat for summer league, and so that was in Orlando. And then I also played with the Boston Celtics in um in Vegas. And oh, so Vegas. I got to. You did yeah. Play in Vegas. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. and, and so I got to experience both. Um, Vegas was fun just because it's Vegas, you know. And so um, we would definitely be focused on the games, and but then. We would go out and enjoy Vegas as well. That that summer when I played with Celtics, I actually had a knee. I had some bad tendonitis in my knee, and so I really didn't play much. And so that really wasn't um, that really wasn't a a super good experience. Not being able to play it was kind of frustrating, but I still I still had a great time. <laughs> yeah the the other the other tournament you played in was the basketball tournament, which has also had a major glow up. Yeah, major, major glow up. Like when you started, right? And and you guys were very successful in that tournament. When you started, did you think it was going to be as big as it is now? Because now it's like 
you know, ESPN deal, the whole nine, the, the prize money's bigger. Like, are you, are you shocked by how successful that venture's been? I, I am pretty successful, but from the first year, so just to give you some background, my team, we won it the very first year. I think it was hmm, 2015, I want to say. I don't remember the exact year, but that was the inaugural year, and it was $500,000 for the prize money. And so uh, a couple guys, we were like, let's get a team together. A couple guys from Notre Dame, we were like, let's get a team together. And we ended up winning that, and it was amazing. But the way the tournament was ran, it was super organized, and that was the very first year, you know. And so the right. next year, when they increased the the prize money to a million, you know, they had more sponsorships. They were going to start showing the games on television, and so you could tell they were on track to blow up. And then I think it was one million prize money was a million for another year. Then it bumped up to two million, and then um, I, I think that's kind of when pandemic, when when COVID came, right? And so. Right. It was canceled for a couple of years, and now it's back to a million again. And so it'll come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, it's at a million now. You know, so that yeah. that's great. So I'm, I have no doubt that it will increase to two million, three million again. Obviously, the more money that they're bringing in is the the higher that they can increase increase the the prize money. So it's it's not surprising just because from the very first year it's been it's been run very very well, and you know now. They're on ESPN. They're, all the games are on ESPN, and it's like now there's such a big fan base. But even from the first year, they included the fans, and so back then, teams to get in, they had to get votes from fans, and so that right. was a great way to include the fans, but also the fans that were some of the best fans and voting were also eligible for prizes. And so I think that when people have an opportunity to win something, then they're definitely more engaged, and so. Uh, was that was that the year where the uh, the barstool guys played? We the played them in the championship. That's we right. Okay, so you you played. It. I mean, obviously they yeah. had ringers like Josh Boone, Matt yeah. Walsh, guys they who played had, major had, college had, basketball, but they had Big Cat and Prez sitting on the bench. Like yeah. Big Cat actually got in a couple of games. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, yeah they I, had. I they had Josh Boone. That team. They had Josh Boone. They had. Um, the other guy from uh, they had Josh Boone, they Dante had, uh, Jones who played it. Dante Jones, they had Dante Jones, they had Dante Jones. And funny story, yeah. funny story. So um, let me see, when was this? I want to say, wait, sick. So about eight months ago, I was on their podcast with Big Cat, and so yeah, and so they had me on the podcast, and then they were just talking about that championship game. Basically, so it was it was great. It was great just to go and talk about that. Big Cat was joking around, saying that if he would have gotten more time, they would have won. But it was, <laughs> it was yeah. Hilarious. The funniest part about it back then was just like you know one of the other Barstool bloggers played uh, on the team from Philly, right? Yeah. Uh, Smitty was on the team from Philly. We didn't even have like the top level guys that you had and that that team had, and he gets like his ass swatted, and it's all over the website. <laughs> Yo, they, yeah, were, they, were they were pissed. They were pissed. They they were not expecting us to win. But I mean, we had we had some pro guys on my team. Yeah, we had guys on my team. We had guys that were they weren't professionally, but they still played on a regular yeah. basis. And so we were, you know, we were we were still going to compete, and we won. And it was it was amazing. And great thing about that also, it was in Boston. So I had my home, I had sure. my family, my friends there to watch. So it was great to have that support also. 
What I remember about that video was because Barstool's office, before they became mega huge, right, and moved to New York, they had the purple starfish was out, like, in full force in that gym. Yeah. And that's that's so funny. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was like, I was almost positive that that was the case. That, that That's... Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, and that's, that's when fantastic. I had I had my I had my my locks my my dreads back then, so I had long hair. So that that might be why you didn't recognize me. <laughs> so, could, so could you still, uh, you know, obviously you can go to LA any any LA fitness you want and basically just dominate. Do you have an itch? You have an itch to get back in the game a little bit and, and play in that tournament again? Yeah, yeah. So I I I play now two or three times per week. I uh, I was I was just playing in a couple men's leagues. Uh, we we lost one in the semifinals, but on a buzzer beater. That I, we definitely should have won that league. And then there's another league that's going on right now. And so yeah, I still love to play. I still love the game. And then I play. Um, so we have uh, one of my trainer, one of my former trainers. He organizes a pro run, and so it's a lot of guys who are actively playing, um, guys who are waiting for assignments overseas or guys who are waiting to get on summer league teams or, you know, guys that used to play professional. So it's very, very high level. And so they invite 15 guys on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then just have three teams and then we just do runs. And so, you know, winner stays on, loser goes. And so definitely, I definitely uh, love to, and that's just the best way to stay in shape. I don't, I don't like to run. I only like to run when I'm playing ball, you know? And so why not? That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I actually for the uh, I do a video series for the the podcast network about the do's and don'ts of rec league slash pickup basketball for guys <laughs> in their thirties. Right now, obviously, I'm a I'm a five ten, excuse me, five eleven Jewish kid with moderately long arms who can't <laughs> jump, so I just shoot jumpers. But I I, I still think that there's a major code to pick up basketball and rec league ball when you're at a certain age. So I'm going to, we'll let you out on this. And you've been awesome with your time. I really appreciate this. We have to do this again. Thank you for sure. Your biggest pet peeve when it comes to rec league basketball for guys around our age, what's your biggest pet peeve? (laughs) So guys around our age, my biggest pet and can you get me in as a ringer one time, just so I can say I played with some some ex high level? <laughs> I, I might I might be able to get you in. I might be able to get you in. Um, let me see. My biggest pet peeve for guys our age, huh? <laughs> ah, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think that it would have to be hmm. Um, so, so I think uh, that one's tough. All right. That would have I'll, to, I'll, t- I'll tell you mine and then you can tell right. me. All right. All right. If you're playing in a pickup game or, or a men's league rec league at, you know, in your mid thirties and you take a charge, <laughs> you are the biggest asshole that's ever lived. Do people right? do that? Do people, <laughs> people do that? Yeah. I, I, I had some- <laughs> I have multiple people who've tried to take charges against me, and you just fall up, you know, people's 
Body parts, you don't want to just hurt your knee or hurt your ankle. If you take a charge, you're a jackass. Like, yeah. stop acting like Charles Oakley in the 93 Knicks, all right? It's not that serious. No, no one takes charges in pickup. No. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was in a, it was in a league. It wasn't in a pickup oh, game. Oh, so it was a league. Okay. Game, yeah, which is, which is different. A, a little no different. One. A little different. All right. All right. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a great one. My, I guess mine is just people who don't get back on defense. You know, you can't want to shoot the ball every time or turn the ball over and not get back on defense. You know what I mean? And so whether you're three playing – Three-point line's a three-point line guy. I know, right? That guy. That and, guy's and, the worst. And they want, then they want to cherry pick and get an easy layup. You know yeah, what I mean? And so, sure. nah, nah, play – Basketball, play on both ends, offense, defense, no matter whatever level it is. That was one of my my most recent videos. I basically said that, like, because, you know, being like a, a bit of a combo guard, if you're going to be the three-point line to three-point line guy, like, I'm not passing you the ball. Like, I'm not. Until you go inside the free throw line, I will not pass you the ball. It's like my rule. <laughs> Prove to me that you are going to go inside the free throw line on both ends. And then you and then you get uh then you get looks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Torin, this was great. This was awesome. I had a great time. We're gonna have to have you on now. As the guys on Pardon My Take say, your buddy Big Cat, you're now a recurring guest. So you now have obligations. I'm down. And, uh, I'm down. This, this is, is great. awesome. And uh, yeah, um, can't wait to do it again. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much. Right, Sounds good. Wait. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to first-time guest and hopefully recurring guest Torn Francis for coming on. I thought this was an awesome interview. Hope to have him back on soon. That's episode 218 for the love of the game. Take us out. Gotta go, gotta go. More pasta, bake up. Word up. Uh. King. What's up? listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube